Corinthians chapter 4, we want to talk about our glorious Christ. Our glorious Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, and I will read the first six verses. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for another opportunity to fellowship. We are grateful that we have an opportunity to spend time in the word. Lord, we want to remember in prayer those that are absent uh, this evening, we pray also, Lord, that you continue to put a hedge of protection around each one of us. We pray for Lynn's brother who's dealing with pneumonia. Father, he needs a touch in his body. We need you to heal him. We need you to make him strong. We pray, God, that every system in his body would work in accordance with your word. We thank you, Father, that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, healing comes, and we're in agreement, Lord, that he's getting better right now. So, Lord, help us as we continue in fellowship this evening around your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about our glorious Christ. And 2 Corinthians, I believe, is about the only book that gives us some kind of biography of Paul. I mean, aside from the book of Acts and some of the stories of his conversion, I mean, he, he really gets into his personal ministry and the things that have occurred in his ministry, the difficulties and the pains. That's what I'm talking about. People tend to not want to talk about where they hurt, when they hurt, how they began to hurt. But you'll see further along in this chapter that Paul talks about being troubled on every side in verse 8. And by saying these things, he was letting the readers in Corinth know, if you think you've got trouble, I've got trouble. But we all share in our troubles together. What I want to do, though, is look at the first few verses, which basically mirror the last half of 2 Corinthians 3. And I probably should at least read some of the the uh, the verses from that, because it, it's important. Uh, notice in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Seeing then that we have such a hope, we use great plainness or boldness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look unto the end of that which is abolished. That's the law. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. 
Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, that we've received a ministry. The ministry is the liberty-giving spirit. As Paul says in the preceding verses, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Liberty to do what? Liberty not to sin. Freedom to say no when you're in the midst of temptation. Now, you know as well as I do that before we became Christian, when we lived in sin, the inclination to yield to sin was very natural and it was normal. And to be quite honest with you, there really wasn't a lot of power in our lives in order for us to turn and go the opposite direction. But once you leave sin and come into Christ, even though the sin nature is still there, that, that body of sin is crucified, but you still are able to be tempted and you can yield to sin. At least now you have an exit and that's Christ. So the scripture says no temptation has come to you, but such as is normal or common to everybody. But with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. You have the ability to say no. You remember back in the 80s, they had that just no campaign and people mocked the president's wife because she was talking about all of these things. And they were saying people just can't say no. Well, you can say no to drugs. You don't have to pick up a, a, a needle and stick it in your arm. A person uh, was able to say no, but didn't want to. So Paul says, since we have this ministry of liberty and freedom, because we've received the mercy of God, this is why we don't faint or give up. God's been merciful to you. He saved you from your sin. He delivered you from uh, what may have been a troubled past, but certainly a sinful past. And since his mercies are new every morning and he's shown these compassions to you, why would you give up on him? You've seen people run in a race sometimes, and, and when they get tired towards the end, if, if, if a person doesn't have the right kind of character and they're embarrassed by what's taking place, the fact that they're in last place and other people are, are looking at them, I, I've seen young people just stop running on the track and just start walking because they're mad and they're embarrassed. Well, you don't want to be that way as a Christian. God has been merciful enough to you to bring you out of sin into a grace where you've received wonderful favor and blessing from the Lord. So please don't give up. Even Hebrews says, consider Jesus. He endured contradictions of sinners amongst himself. He endured the pain of the cross and he didn't give up. So if he could go through all of that, why would you quit? Why would you wave the white flag and just say, I just can't take it anymore? But he says in verse 2 then, that we have renounced those dishonest things that were done in secret. Now, I believe that that poet Alexander Pope is the one who made the statement. He said the the honest man is the noblest work of God. Well, I don't know if that is altogether accurate, but I do know honesty is a wonderful thing. And the scripture says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. You don't want to be a liar. We don't want to be the kind of people that are mentioned at the end of 2 Corinthians 2. In the, in the last verse of 2 Corinthians 2, it talks about those who corrupt the word of God. Another word is those that peddle the word of God. Peddlers. You know, the people that used to roll into town in the 
the, the old Western films and they'd come in with their carriage or their wagon, then they'd, they'd pull the top up and then they had every kind of oil you could think of and then they'd start selling it and people were coming. I mean, they had something that would cure everything. I mean, you, you got diabetes, they got, they got a cure for it. You got a bee sting, they uh, take this little potion right here. Paul says, we're not that kind of, kind of people. And he says, we renounce those things that are dishonest. God doesn't want us to be liars. He wants us to be truthful. He does not want us to walk in craftiness, handling the word of God deceitfully. What does it mean to handle the word of God deceitfully? It is to take this book and abuse it or misuse it. Use it to mislead people. Use it to further purposes that are not outlined in the scripture. To mishandle the word of God. I could build an entire Bible study just on that. But by way of example, what does it mean to walk in craftiness? A person has wrong motives and intentions. You know, if you, you, you say a crafty person is, is, is someone who's looking to get ahead, take advantage of somebody. Like, like some old folks have, have, have told their kids before, you know, there's one born and two to take them every day. Be careful who you give yourself to. That's to say that for every child that's born, there's somebody that's willing to scam them. That's what that means. Paul says we're not supposed to be like that. I wouldn't want to take God's word and use God's word to mislead you down the wrong path. Now, we see this all the time. The, the blatant examples of this we find in our culture, and I don't want to enumerate all these things. We talk about them so many, so many times, always. But the, the problems in our culture now is they realize there is so much Christianity in American history. I mean, even John Adams said that he's convinced and he still believes that the reason that this, the great independence that we have of our nation continues to work is because it's based upon the general principles of Christianity. So everybody knows that you can study our history and see that Christianity has, has flown in the history of this nation or flowed through the history of this nation from its conception until now. But the difficulty then is people have learned that if we want to stunt the growth of the church and we want to reorient people's minds, we have to change how they understand this book. This is kind of like my hobby horse. This, this is the problem I have with, with so many of the different translations we have today. Because many of these translations, as I understand and believe it, are designed to twist people's minds away from what the original Hebrew and Greek text said. So there are Bibles that quickly dispensed with words like sodomites because it's not culturally sensitive, it's not correct, but they change it and might use something like shrine prostitute. Well, those are different, different meanings altogether. When we talk about salvation, even going back to the Reformation, when Peter stood up and he told him on the day of Pentecost to repent, or when John the Baptist preached repent, the Latin Bible, which was in contrast to the uh, the Protestant Bible, I mean the, uh, the Roman Catholic Bible of that day, which was in contrast to the Protestant Bible. The Protestant Bible said repent. The Roman Catholic Bible said do penance. See, to totally different. See, once 
once we have captured the meaning of God's word and it's clear and it's simple, then every generation comes along and wants to reinterpret it for their age. And what ho often happens is every age seems to become more and more sensitive to negative words. So pretty soon the words of God change and you no longer can maintain what you once read and you had believed all your life. So if you grew up in America believing that marriage is between Adam and Eve, you can find theologians and preachers today that will tell you that the Bible doesn't have a problem with that at all. That certainly is the kind of thing that falls under the category of handling the word of God deceitfully. Because there's an aim, there's a goal, there's an objective that's behind how the scriptures are being used. But he says in verse 2, but by manifestation of the truth. See, truth has to become a person. Truth was incarnated in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Truth became a man. Truth was born in a manger, then grew up and developed in the midst of Israel, and they were able to see truth. Even Pilate at the judgment asked Jesus, what is truth? Jesus had to tell him. Truth is not something that's relative. Truth is not me saying, okay, what you believe and you sincerely adhere to is true for you. And what you believe and sincerely adhere to is true for you. That, that's not truth at all. Truth in a dictionary is some kind of fact or some kind of faithfulness to an original standard or some kind of an ideal that doesn't waver. Now, you know as well as I do that two plus two is four. But if... If I sincerely believe to the point of weeping and crying that two plus two was five. Just because I'm emotional about it, does that make it true? No. And, and that's what we've never been able to uh, discern in this generation now. We feel like if, if there are tears and, and people are emotional and they look like they're broken up about it, then, then how can you deny them what they believe? what he or she understands to be true. Paul says the manifestation of the truth. He understands God's word to be the main standard. He knows that Christ is the truth. And he says, by the manifestation of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He says, look at me, follow me as I follow Christ. I am showing you what truth is in action. Every single one of us should be that way. Now, uh, earlier, I was talking uh, with, with, with someone, and we were talking about this, this, this very thing, about how we, we now, we, we don't know if we should have on our restrooms the gender side. Now, if someone would have asked my grandmother this back in about 1935, I mean, even though she didn't graduate from high school, I think she would have came up with a pretty credible answer. Yeah. I mean, we have brilliant people. I mean, people that have all kinds of letters behind their names that are on television explaining to us why it's not the best thing to have these little signs that, designate a person's gender for a restroom. 
we, we, we don't have a manifestation of the truth in all quarters, but what we do have is a manifestation of confusion. Probably be even better to say a manifestation of a lie, of what's false, of error. It says here in verse 3, if our gospel is hid, and the reason he has to say that is because he's already said in verse 2, there's a manifestation of truth that comes through us, comes through us. So if the gospel is hidden, it's hidden to the people who don't know God. That's what he said. To those that are lost. And it's, it's interesting because most people wouldn't think that the gospel could be hid, especially when you have people manifesting it. How can the gospel be preached on television in America and on radio every single day and thousands of people tune in and hear it? And there are tracks and there are CDs and tapes and warehouses and old videos and everything else of people preaching. How is it that all of this is available in our nation and around the world, but yet the gospel is hidden? They don't they don't see it. Well, he tells us why in verse four. He says the God of this world has blinded their minds. The, the average person who doesn't believe in Christ, who doesn't live the life as a Christian, they would be offended if you told them the reason they do not believe is because the devil has did this to them. Yeah, they, they, they'd be offended. And so Paul goes out of his way to say it's the God of this world, the God of this age. Now, this is interesting, and let me spend a little time here. The God of this world. Let's go forward a few books. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. So after 2 Corinthians is Galatians, after Galatians is Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter number 2. So Paul has told us about the God of this world. Look at Ephesians 2 and 2. Notice the course of this world. He says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, so that's two things I'm trying to bring up. The God of this world and the course of this world. Are, are you as surprised as I am? With some of the things that you see in this world, I, I, I mean, it's it, it is amazing. It, it is as though common sense has departed from people. But remember two things. Paul says in Second Corinthians, the God of this world has the ability to blind people. That means to keep them from seeing. And then, as you can see in Ephesians two, he speaks here about the course of this world According to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So the kingdom of God is in operation under a system that is opposite of what is taking place in this world that's flowing a totally different course. Another way would be to say a path, the path of this world. So all of this is going in opposite directions. You turn the television on, you listen to the radio, you read the newspaper, you say, how can people do these things? It brings us back to 2 Corinthians. The God of this world has blinded them. People who can't see the gospel, people who don't believe the gospel, they don't understand that they're governed by 
an evil spirit. And as Ephesians 2 said, the spirit that works in them to disobey. See, fosters rebellion in people. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them. Now look at 2 Corinthians 3 again. And notice... In verse 14, it speaks of the children of Israel. 2 Corinthians 3, 14, their minds were blinded. So, so here's the picture. Moses goes up into the mountaintop. He's going to spend 40 days with the Lord. The glory of God is going to be so heavy on his face and radiate so much through his skin and all around him that he literally has to put some kind of a scarf or a veil on him because the children of Israel cannot look at his face. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the children of Israel were blinded. He said that the, the veil is the Old Testament law. But the glory that radiated from Moses face, that was Christ. That's the glory of Christ. And he said they couldn't see the glory of Christ because the veil was on them. And as long as they read the Old Testament with the veil in that way, they cannot see who Jesus is. And this is what Paul is using as an illustration in chapter four to say, as long as this world is attempting to see God and there's this veil of disobedience and sin that's over their eyes, they'll never be able to see our glorious Christ. Because the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who don't believe. So I return to what I said earlier. The average person who is a sinner who doesn't believe in God and is not interested in church and won't read the Bible. If you told them they were blinded by the God of this world, they would say you are out of your mind. Nobody's done this to me. I'm a free thinker. I, I'm, I'm independent in the way that I, that I think I'm, I'm, I'm the sovereign over my own intellect and not even know that they're enslaved to a culture and a system every bit as much as we are enslaved to the culture of the kingdom of God and God's word. There is no one on this planet whose mind and thoughts are not bound or tied to a particular culture. And no matter what anybody believes, they, they, they may think that, that they've come to their own decisions on their own, but usually they've gathered information from somewhere, television, Internet, newspaper, or books. We don't create our own answers, folks. And it's the same thing with the scriptures. What I believe, understandably to some people, may be narrow-minded and provincial, and may be old-fashioned, outdated, all those words they want to use. But, but the bottom line is there's nothing going on today that hadn't already been predicted in Scripture. There's no problem being dealt with today that hadn't been dealt with in the Scripture. And since I've got thousands of years of wisdom available to me, why not believe the, the wise sages of the word rather than the 29-year-old expert that's on television trying to tell you what's right and what's wrong? Yeah. Just stick with what, what Peter says, what Paul says. In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them who don't believe. Because they know the glorious gospel will break forth and shine forth the image of Christ. Why do you think the schools, I don't want to say the schools, maybe I should say that. The, the Department of Education and the teachers unions and people like that. Why do you think in some instances they are utterly opposed to the Ten Commandments in school? 
They, they, they know if, if ever God's word somehow gets back in that school, it's going to affect how people live. And if you have the Bible verses and it's somehow it's going to drive people to the Bible, if people are driven to the Bible, they're somehow going to run into Christ. And if they run into Christ, they're going to run into the kingdom of God. And if they run into the kingdom of God, they're going to start being Christian. And if they turn into Christians, we cannot transform their minds the way that we want, because there's now another standard by which they'll judge everything we say. So let's just say everybody's right. This is what it is. The God of this world has blinded the minds of people. So Muslims are terrified that Christian missionaries might come over there in the midst of that world. I mean, if somebody went to Iran right now and said the American embassy has now stated that any and everybody who wants to leave Iran and immigrate to America, you may now come and get free passage and we'll take care of your ticket and you can come to the land of liberty. I'm telling you, the only people left in Iran would be the Ayatollahs. Them people would run as fast as they could. To get out of there. But, but the blinders are on. And, and as long as it's that way, they can't see Jesus for who he is. Paul says, we, we're not preaching ourselves. So we're not up here telling stories about us. We, we didn't down the cross for you. We're talking about Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And we're just simply servants for Jesus' sake. We're here to serve him, and we're here to serve you and to tell you about the Savior. Our life exists primarily for that purpose. And then he takes us back to Genesis 1. He said, God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Out of the darkness came forth the light. And he's saying the same way God created the light then and it shined forth, it's the same thing that happens when the gospel comes into our hearts. The sun is good. This wouldn't be a good world without sunlight. Uh -uh. Sun has very, very positive powers for, for the earth. And when the light of the gospel shines forth in our hearts, it also is a very powerful thing in our lives. And, and that's why he says it shines in order to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Glory can be seen sometimes. Old Testament talks about a glory cloud. The glory of the Lord manifested in the temple. The priests couldn't stand up. They just fell down in the presence of the Lord and it looked like a cloud descending. There's something about the light of the gospel that causes people to see in the knowledge of God something powerful, something inspirational. Something that's life changing. Yeah. You hear the gospel and it's like, oh my, God loved me that much. And that's why he says the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They could not see Moses' face because of the glory. The glory on Moses was a type of Christ. But now the only way we can get a glimpse of the glory of God, we have to see it in the face of Jesus Christ. This is why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The greater the clarity of the picture that we have in the Gospels when it's presented to us in a teaching or when we're reading, the greater the manifestation of the glory of God in our lives when we recognize who he is. The more you can see Jesus in the scriptures, the greater 
the revelation that comes from that particular passage. So Jesus says after his resurrection, the law, the writings, and the Psalms and prophets talk about me. He sat down with his disciples and he explained to them the passages in the Old Testament that referred to him. So from Genesis to Malachi, when you look into the Old Testament, one story after another, somehow or another, tells the story of Jesus. And we could do this for the rest of the Bible study. You, you, you take Noah. Noah's name means comforter. What did Noah do? He built an ark. What did the ark do? Saved his family. Protected them from the flood. Jesus said, I've got to go away. And if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter. If there's another comforter, that means the other comforter has to be like a preceding or former comforter. Jesus was a comforter. What did Jesus do? He built an ark of salvation. Who did he save? All of those affiliated with him. That's, that's what he did. Those that put their trust in him. You take Abraham. Abraham leaves his country. He sets off on his own. He produces seed that continues down the line. And the name of God continually is manifested. That's what Jesus did. He left heaven. He came down here to planet earth. And what did he do? He produced a family of people that is continually perpetuated in every generation. What about Isaac? Isaac laid down on the top of that hill. His father was about to take his life until God spoke and said, you don't need to do that. But Isaac voluntarily was going to lay his life down, knowing that his father would raise him from the dead if he needed to. Jesus came into this world. Jesus said, nobody takes my life, but I lay it down. And he climbed up on that cross and he sacrificed himself for you and for me. Same thing with Jacob. Same thing with Joseph. I even have a Bible study one time I did on 70, 70 ways Joseph was a type of Jesus. Think about that. So over and over, when you look into the scriptures, you find that Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Yeah. And the more you see him, the more glorious he becomes because you realize that all of history and all of the different characters on the stage of time have been various elements of Jesus' character. Abraham's called the friend of God. Moses, the meekest man on the earth. But by the time that Christ come, all of the positive features of everybody, from Adam all the way to Malachi, were gathered all up and placed in one man. Jesus. God in flesh, absolutely perfect, without a flaw, without any problem at all. Well, maybe I should go ahead and add verse, verse 7 to. But it says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So the, the plan of salvation, we didn't create it. God made it. It's not something we designed. He didn't ask us for our advice. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost predetermined the means and method by which we would be saved. Faith in his Son. That means that there is nothing at all that we contribute to the salvation other than the sin that makes our salvation necessary. That's all that we contribute to our salvation. 
God is the one that works by the power of the Holy Spirit to gather out a bride because he's expecting the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he wants as many people to be a part of that as possible. And the scripture says that powerful salvation is in earthen vessels, earthen vessels, these physical bodies, the kind of body Jesus had. Now there is in Judges chapter 7, if you desire to look into that with me, but I'll give you the overview. In Judges chapter 7, there's a gentleman by the name of Gideon. Gideon does not believe his life is of any value. When the angel told him God wanted to use him to do something great, he said, I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm the, from the least family in the smallest tribe. Who in the world cares about what I have to say? Nobody cares anything about my word. But God told him he was going to be used. And God is using him. So what does Gideon eventually do? Well, he, he, he has a dream. And in the, the dream is told, somebody interprets a dream, and they basically let Gideon know this means you guys are supposed to go and fight the Midianites. You're going to utterly destroy them. And so in Judges chapter 7, then verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, by 300 men that have lapped, Will I save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand and let all the other people go every man to his place? Now, he started off with 30,000. How'd you like to have an army of 30,000 people? Then you say, everybody who's afraid and ready to go home and doesn't want to go to battle, take off. And then you just watch everybody running for the camels, running for the horses. Some just take off running through the desert. I mean, he lost thousands. Till eventually was wheedled down to about... 300. Okay. Well, then in Judges 7, coming to verse number 15, it said, When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation, he worshiped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Now, he's saying this to 300 people, folks. Okay. That's, that, that's not exactly what you call a, a special forces crew. It's going to go up against all these people. He divided the 300. He gave everybody a trumpet and everybody had a pitcher. And inside the pitcher, they had a lamp or a candle. And they were supposed to light the candle. And he divided them up. They went up into the mountains. And in the middle of the night, he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to blow the trumpet. And when you blow the trumpet, break the pitcher so that the lights will be seen. So all around the tops of the mountains in the middle of the night, they blew the horn. The Midianites jumped up wondering what was going on. And they looked up in the hills and saw nothing but lamps or lights burning. And the scripture says they started fighting themselves, killing themselves, and then ran. Now you, you talk about a, a good strategy. That turned out well, because looking up there in the hills, it makes it seem like there are far more than 300 when they, when they saw that and, and they left. So when you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 7 says we have this treasure, because verse 6 talks about the light of the knowledge. And it talks about the light shining out of darkness. When you think of verse 7, you see that th this earthen vessel that we have also contains a light. It's like Gideon's pictures, earthenware vessels. 
And God says the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. And it's a light that burns on the inside and it's designed to shine the light of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. People are able to see who Jesus is by how we live. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2 and 3. All of you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you're manifestly, oh, loves that word manifestly or manifest, declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. To each one of us, we are an epistle, a letter. And as we've said on so many occasions, let your life be a living version of the scripture, a living Bible. Don't be a revised version. Be, Be the living epistle of God. Let people spend time in your presence and without ever having to pick up the Bible and read it, learn from just being with you what they need to know about God. Your conversation can be godly without you quoting second Kings in the conversation. Yeah, your speech can be edifying and seasoned with grace without you in a rapid fire. In Revelation chapter three, verse two says in Revelation 21, verse three says, you don't have to go through all of that. Talk normally. Your life is an epistle. It should be impossible for someone to spend hours with you and not know that you're a Christian at some point. It just, just ought to come up. If it don't come up, it just, it's all, it just ought to ooze out of you. you know, just, just something just should come out of you. And, and that is what Paul is, is talking about here. This treasure that we have in earthen vessels, this things should flow out and it should radiate. And when people find out that you love the Lord, then it's a possibility that what you are radiating could very well take away the veil from their heart, from their minds. The God of this world does not want the gospel to be preached or proclaimed. I see where all of this is going. Everybody else can pretty much predict it. Christians were first people in the boat coming from Europe to come here looking for freedom to worship, to love God, to read the Bible as they wanted. But the last people in the boat have now thrown the first people in the boat overboard. And, and Christians are being confined more and more to little places where they can only proclaim the truth in the four walls of their church. Yeah. They, they don't want to hear anything about religion so much in a public forum unless what you're saying is positive about other religions or you're just mentioning God. But if you're going to get on that television and say there's one way, one road, one truth, one faith, then you're going to have, you're going to have troubles. And they would love to take all the Christians and have them in their churches and say, look, inside the four walls of your church, you can say whatever you want to say. But once you step out in the public sector and you're around other people, you you can't say those things. And it's wrong for you to say those things. And for you to say some of the things that your Bible says is actually going to be categorized, if not categorized now, as hate speech. Hate speech. 
which means eventually then, if we don't want any kind of negative outbursts in a culturally sensitive nation like ours, and we don't want people's children going to Sunday, coming to a Sunday school where they learn about God from Bibles that may have words that we deem culturally insensitive, then now we've got to work to try to deal with the hate speech that we believe is in the religious institutions. So the Jews, Muslim, Christian, if they have beliefs that we find repugnant, then we've got to figure out how to let them know that inside your church now you can't even say certain things. We, we don't want it said in the mosque. We don't want it said in the, in the uh, synagogue. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Jews and, and Muslims, they believe something totally different than me because what I believe in Jesus is the Son of God and he died on the cross for our sins. But I'm just saying that the, the, the religions of this world today to hold to there's a belief in just a one God and not a bunch of gods, there's a lot of persecution upon them because they realize that they have a belief and, and a dogmatic stance that just cannot, cannot be shaken. So we got to get into the church. How do we get into the church? Change the Bible colleges, the departments of divinities, change the seminaries. So that the preachers who come out to the churches no longer use that kind of language to say, this is right, this is wrong. What's popular today amongst ministers is not to say this is correct and this is incorrect. It's popular now to just simply say, I disagree or I agree. Because that's not so offensive. But when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he knew that in these different lands there were other cultures, other customs and beliefs that are wrong. Amongst the ancient Egyptians, it was common for brothers and sisters to marry. Yeah, amongst the ancient Egyptians. Many of the pharaohs married their siblings. This book says you can't do that. Okay? Can't do that. Shouldn't do that. In Uganda, I was telling you about the witchcraft over there. They're abducting children and sacrificing them to the devil. This book says kidnapping or man stealing, as it's called in the Old Testament, is is wrong. You shouldn't do that. You, you can't be offering your children to various gods. The scripture says. I don't know if it was here or if it was the other Sunday morning. I was telling them about a a. Uh, I'll try to be tactful with how I say this, but I had a a, a, a uh, breakfast with a pastor over in in Kenya, and they were inviting me to that area to preach. In, in his town, a, a big city called Kisumu, and a lot of witchcraft there. They said, we need, we need a good crusade where you come in and just really preach the gospel. We need to see some stuff happening. I said, well, what's going on there? And he was just giving me all these illustrations of the kind of stuff they, they deal with. But, but the thing that caught my mind, and maybe I mentioned this last, but I can't remember. But, but he said, we, we've got people who are, are so full of the devil there that it, when, they lose, when a wife loses her husband, the witches put a spell on the corpse and said that the, the wife won't get rid of the body, but will keep the body in order to have physical relations with it. Can you imagine? Folks, I'm telling you, this is why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because God knows that the kingdom of God, the, the teaching of the kingdom, will totally change a person's lifestyle. And folks, if we don't get the gospel to people, 
how are people ever going to know? Our glorious Christ wants his gospel proclaimed to those to whom the gospel is hidden. And then when they hear the truth, it can reorient their lives. And so we've got to stand up against the culture that we have now that says we need to muzzle ourselves and let the devil has, have his way. Sometimes even if it seems like it's going to offend some of your friends or somebody that you know uh, when they're making statements, sometimes you have to just say, you know what? My grandmother believes such and such, and I'm just going to hold to that because that makes a whole lot more sense than what you're talking about. You know, yeah, I, I, I just don't see any reason why, 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 why I, I have to battle through so much of this cultural stuff that's going on. Now, hold to the Bible, folks, and don't change. Don't let any preacher change you. Don't let any church denomination change you. Don't let this world change you. Just stick with what God is saying, and that'll be the end of it. You don't have to worry. But do not permit yourself to be shaken like a reed in the wind. Just hold fast. Yeah, hold fast. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you, and we love you, and we appreciate the blessings you brought to each one of us. We're grateful that in the word of God we find truth. We find a road map to lead us to heaven. Father, we do have to be strong in what we believe. And in some ways, Lord, we do have to be dogmatic. But God, help us not to be arrogant or prideful. We do want to walk in love. But God, help us to stand for something. Or Lord, we'll end up falling for any and everything. So we honor your name and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen.